This is Redemption Radio with Pastor Cody King of Redemption Calvary in Commerce City, Colorado. Here's a preview from Pastor Cody of today's message. Imagine if you participated with him. Imagine if you were on board with what he was doing. Imagine if you were seeking the Lord and saying, God, would you use me? Would you fill me with your spirit? Would you give me the courage and the boldness to stand for you as a beacon of hope, as a light shining in the dark world? Would you use my life for such a thing? You see, instead of just experiencing God doing a work out there, you would know what it is for God to do that supernatural, spiritual work through you. Let's take a faith check. When's the last time God used you to do good works? Encourage a coworker, reach someone for Jesus, or even extend compassion at just the right time to someone. God is constantly doing miraculous and awe-inspiring works across this earth. Yet, how often is He doing it through you? Today, Pastor Cody continues in Romans chapter 11 and re-emphasizes the urging of Paul that God desires to reconcile all people of different ethnicities and backgrounds to Him. Jews and Gentiles alike. Now, turn in your Bible to the book of Romans chapter 11 and join Pastor Cody for today's edition of Redemption Radio. So you're wondering, am I the only one? And it's very easy in the situations of our life to feel like we're the only one, and that's just not true. And so God says there are 7,000, not to say that there are 7,000 necessarily, but number one, he encourages Elijah. Number two, what he does with Elijah is he's humbling Elijah. He's bringing some humility to Elijah. Why? Because of the same reason. You're not the only one. Isn't it true that when we start to think that we're the only one, not only do we throw a pity party at first, but then we start to think, well, I am the only one. Maybe the Lord wants to use me in my glorious awesomeness to do all of Like, no, you're not the only one. There's somebody else, and God's using them as well. You are not the only one that God wants to use. God, you know, our sense of being the only one can be a source of ignorance. It is ignorance and arrogance that I am somehow better than everybody else. And so God does this in order to bring Elijah back to reality. Notice he says in verse 5, he takes this story of Elijah, this this biblical concept, and he says, even so, verse 5, even so then... At this present time, there's a remnant according to election of grace. And if by grace, then it's no longer of works. Otherwise, grace is no longer grace. But if it is of works, it's no longer of grace. Otherwise, work is no longer work. Here's what he does. He takes this and he says, just like in Elijah's day, when there were 7,000 other believers in his day, so too it might look like the entire nation has rejected God and rejected the Messiah, but there's a remnant of Jewish believers. And to this day, there still are. There is a remnant of Jewish believers. By and large, the church is Gentile. By and large, it's Gentile just means not Jew. That's all it means. And so it's everybody else. And so just like in today's day where there are some Jews who are saved, but the vast majority of the nation or ethnic Israel, it's not necessarily Israel in terms of living in Israel, but ethnic Jews that could live anywhere, by and large, most of them have rejected Jesus as the Messiah, and yet there are some who have believed in the Lord. And so God has this remnant. National rejection doesn't mean total rejection. Here's how Warren Wiersbe talks about it. In his commentary, be right. He says this, At no time has the entire nation of Israel been true to the Lord. God makes a distinction between Abraham's natural children and his spiritual children, Romans 2, 25-29. 
The fact that the Jews shared in the covenant by being circumcised did not guarantee their salvation. Like Abraham, they had to believe God in order to receive his righteousness. Romans 4, 1-5. It's interesting to note that as you look back across the Old Testament time frame of looking at the nation of Israel, there has never been a time when the entire nation has been all for the Lord. There's always been a time where it's sort of been divided, where some people are for the Lord and some people are not. There's never been a season when the entire nation has been all for the Lord, but there is coming a day when that will happen. That's what Revelation talks about. We'll get to that in just a little bit. You see, God, as He extends His salvation, His terms are that it must be received by grace through faith. Because no one in human history is good enough to just do it on their own. And that's what it's saying there in verse 6. It's got to be of grace. There's no way that it can be of works. You're never going to earn a right standing with God. You're never going to do enough to get Him to like you more. You're never going to climb the ladder to where now you've attained holiness and now you've earned a right standing before God. No, the way that this works is it's a gift of grace that God gives. You see, when it comes to salvation, grace and works are mutually exclusive. They're opposed to one another. They do not work together. It's one or the other, not a mixture of two. If it's by God's grace, if your salvation is by God's grace, then it's an unearned gift. It's that God blesses me. God just chose to give it to you without cost, without price. He just says, you can have this if you will take it. But if it's of works, and that's what it's saying in verse six, if it's of works, then it's a deserved wage. It's not that God blesses me. It's that God owes me. That's how it comes together. And so if you are working for your salvation, then you're trying to get God to owe you, and He's not going to be a debtor to anybody. And the same thing is true on the other side of salvation. Once you become saved, you cannot work enough to get God to like you more. There's not enough stuff to do to earn a right standing with God, to say, oh, now I'm in the good graces of God. No, there's none of that. The truth is, is that He brings His spirit to bear upon you and he literally changes who you are the good works are a part of your christianity but not to get salvation it's a result of your salvation the stuff you do comes out of who you are and god changes who we are verse 7 he says this what then has israel not obtained what they seek but the elect have obtained it and the rest were blinded just as is written God has given them a spirit of stupor, eyes that they should not see and ears that they should not hear to this very day. And David says, let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block and a recompense to them. Let their eyes be darkened so they do not see and bow down their back always. Here in this final section here of this second witness that's called, essentially the remnant of Israel are those who have chosen to soften their hearts to the Lord and to his work. They've chosen faith over tradition. See, the Jewish people were brought up to say, because you were born a Jew, because you were circumcised, just like Paul listed all of his things, I can tell you I was of the tribe of Benjamin, I was circumcised on the eighth day, just like the law says, I did all the things that I'm supposed to do religiously, therefore I'm saved, therefore God loves me. And what Paul is saying is, that's not how it works. If you're relying on that, if you're relying on, well, I'm a good person and I was born into a Christian family and I pay my taxes and I walk old ladies across the street and I don't buy new puppies, I buy rescue dogs. Therefore, I'm a good person. Therefore, I've earned my way into salvation. Right? No, that's not how it works. It's only by 
faith. It can't be the tradition. It's got to be faith. And this is very similar to what we saw in chapter 9. If you remember, if you were with us, we saw how God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And when God hardened Pharaoh's heart, it wasn't something that God had stricken Pharaoh with a hard heart. It was that Pharaoh had chosen to harden his own heart. And eventually God said, fine, you can have it your way. I will make you stiff in the consistent decision that you are choosing. So what are you going to do? Because this works both ways. If you consistently decide to honor the Lord, God will stiffen you and harden you in that decision. You'll become hard-headed for Jesus. But if you decide consistently to reject God, reject His Word, reject His Gospel, reject people who are lovingly trying to bring you to Him, you will get hardened into that position. Just like Pharaoh did, as we're seeing here, just like the nation of Israel has as well. In verse 9, there's this idea of the table. David says, let their table become a trap or a snare. Essentially what he's saying is that the thing that should have served them was misused to earn their salvation. It should have served them to get them to Jesus. Instead, they used it as a religious thing. The thing that should have brought life to them. The law, the prophets, the fathers, you know, all those things that we saw in Romans 9, 4 through 5, these eight different advantages that the Jewish people had. Instead of using those as advantages, they actually ended up entrapping them. All right, thirdly, not only do we see the Apostle Paul, the prophet Elijah, but the third witness that Paul calls to the stand is the Gentile Christians. Look with me at verse 11. It says this, I say then, have they stumbled that they should fall? Certainly not. But through their fall, to provoke them to jealousy, salvation has come to the Gentiles. You see, Paul's third witness is the Gentile church, that God's plan has always been for the Gentiles to come into salvation through the Jews. When you look at the Old Testament, there's always been a provision in the Old Testament for God to say, here's how non-Jews become part of the Jewish people. But this has always been God's plan. His plan has always been to bring His good news, to bring His word, to bring salvation to the world through His chosen people. And so as God was looking to seek out the Gentiles through the Jews, so now God is looking to seek out the Jews through the Gentiles. He wants the Jewish people to get saved, and He wants to use you to do it. That's what He's saying here, that He's going to provoke the Jewish people to jealousy by showering His grace and His goodness and His blessings upon non-Jews, which just doesn't make sense to them. It's, It's like, why, God, would you bless those filthy Gentiles? They're just firewood for hell. Why would you be nice to them? And so when they see God's blessing upon non-Jews, it just kind of rattles their minds. They're not sure what category to put that in because it goes against their tradition. And so God's using the Gentile church in order to reach the Jews. In Matthew chapter 5, verses 14 through 16, Jesus said this, You are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone who is in the house. In the same way... Let your good deeds shine out for all to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Think about this for a second. Jesus said this to a complete Jewish audience. We read it in our content. We're like, Jesus was in America, right? And he said this to the Christian church today. No, he was in Israel and he said this to a completely Jewish audience. He was telling the Jews before his death, burial, and resurrection, You're the light 
that's supposed to be shining out in the world. You're the one that's supposed to be beaming forth the glory of God. And yet, that's not what they were doing. They were trying to hide it. They were trying to hold it into themselves and say, we're holy, we're good, they're bad, they're evil, it's us four no more, keep them out, they're bad. That, that's, that's the thought that they had in their minds. And God would have used them to bring salvation to the Jews, and yet they rejected it. But now He's bringing salvation to the Gentiles, and the Jews don't get to participate. You see, God is going to accomplish His work. He's going to do it. God has a plan. He's got a purpose. He's got a thing that He's aiming at. And He will either use you, and you get to have the blessing of being used by God, or He's going to do it anyway, and you just don't get to be used for it. God's going to accomplish His work sometimes in spite of us. Verse 12, he says this, Now, if their fall, speaking of the Jews, if their fall is riches for the world and their failure is riches for the Gentiles, how much more their fullness? For I speak to you Gentiles inasmuch as I am an apostle to the Gentiles, I magnify my ministry. If by any means I may provoke to jealousy those who are my flesh and save some of them. For if their being cast away is the reconciling of the world, what will their acceptance be but life? From the dead. You see, if God is able to, to do this in spite of them, imagine if they participated in God's plan. If God is able to bring His Word and salvation to your neighbors, your friends, your family members, the people that you work with, if God is able to do that in spite of you, imagine if you participated with Him. Imagine if you were on board with what He was doing. Imagine if you were seeking the Lord and saying, God, would you use me? Would you fill me with your spirit? Would you give me the courage and the boldness to stand for you as a beacon of hope, as a light shining in the dark world? Would you use my life for such a thing? You see, instead of just experiencing God doing a work out there, you would know what it is for God to do that supernatural, spiritual work through you. And let me tell you, there's nothing like that. There's absolutely nothing like God using you for something for His glory. It's absolutely tremendous. And this all foreshadows not just what's happening now, but it foreshadows God's plan to use Israel in the end times. He's not saying, well, imagine if God was to use them. He's saying God is going to use the nation of Israel in the end times, in the time of Revelation. Verses 13-14, through 14, Paul says that his ministry is directed by God at bringing the gospel to the Gentiles. And we see that that was his pattern as you look through the book of Acts. When you read through the book of Acts and you see what Paul did, you see that he would go to a city and then he would find a synagogue and he'd go in and he'd preach to the people in the synagogue. Usually some of them would believe and a bunch of them wouldn't. And then he'd say, okay, I'm done talking to you guys. And he'd just go out into like the marketplace. He'd just start talking to people about Jesus. That's what he would do. And that was his common practice. And from there, a church would be born and the church would grow and it would start to impact and reach that city. That's his common pattern. You see, the spiritual responsibility for the gospel has fallen to the church, which is mostly Gentiles. But that doesn't make us better than the Jews. Just because you've had the lights turn on in your mind, so to speak, and you've realized that Jesus is the Messiah and you place your faith in Him doesn't make you better than those non-believers. And even the Jews who should have come to it through their scriptures and through all of the advantages that they had. It just means that we have this responsibility of bearing the gospel. Now, fourthly, the fourth witness that Paul calls to the stand is the Jewish patriarch. So we have the Apostle Paul, the prophet Elijah, the Gentile church, and then fourthly, the Jewish patriarchs in verses 16 through 24. Look at verse 16, it says this, For if the first fruit is holy, the lump is also holy. 
And if the root is holy, so are the branches. Okay, now this might fly right over your head when you first read it, but really what he's doing with this is he's using it as an illustration. He goes back to the founding fathers of the Jewish nation. He says, let's go back to how did all this Jewish stuff even begin? Let's look back there. And he's using two different illustrations to grasp the idea of spiritual heritage. The first illustration is there in verse 16. It says, for if the first fruit is holy so also the lump is holy. And what he's doing is he's pointing back to the way that they would offer offerings to God. In the the sacrificial system of the Old Testament, the Jewish people would sacrifice all sorts of things, and part of what they would do is they would sacrifice like food. Not just animals, but they would take some some of their dough, they would take some of their grain, and they would bring it before the Lord, and they would take the first fruits, is that a familiar idea? And they would offer that to God. They would have this wave offering before the Lord, or a heave offering before the Lord, or they would bring some of their dough, and they would bring that, and then that would be what the priests would eat. But they would bring this first fruits to God, and what it meant was that if God accepted the first fruit, then he also blessed all the rest. Right? They would say, here's the, the first portion of my crop, and God is also he's sanctifying the rest of the crop. It's that God is receiving this and blessing it. And so too, God receiving Abraham sets apart the rest of his people as well. It sanctifies the rest of his people, his descendants as well. The second illustration there in verse 16, see it? He says, and if the root is holy so also are the branches. Now, we're going to get into what the root and the branches are in just a second in terms of what he's talking about, but essentially this is an olive tree, which is a symbol of the nation of Israel from Jeremiah 11, Hosea 14. But essentially, here's the concept. Roots support branches. You're like, wow, I'm so glad I came to church today. I learned something so good. Roots support branches, not the other way around, right? The branches get their nutrients from the roots, The roots provide the stability. The roots provide the nutrients from the soil, the water. The roots support the branches. The branches do not support the roots. The branches benefit from the roots. And so in this, the faith of this, as he's talking about, is not the faith of the nation. What he's saying is that individual Jews can place their faith in the Lord. But the plan of God concerning the Jewish nation is what we're talking about, that God uses Israel because of the roots. It's kind of a confusing idea. Here's the idea. The roots of Judaism are in the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and because those roots are good, God through that has brought salvation to everybody. Why? Because Jesus, he's Jewish. That's why. The scriptures are Jewish. All of it is a Jewish faith, if you want to say that. And so he's not talking about individual Jews. He's talking about the Jewish nation as a whole. Look at verse 17. We'll get deeper into this idea. Verses 17 through 24 says this. And if some of the branches are broken off, and you being a wild olive tree were grafted in among them, and with them became a partaker of the root and fatness of the olive tree, do not boast against the branches. But if you do boast, remember that you do not support the root, but the root supports you. You will say then, branches were broken off that I may be grafted in. Well said, because of unbelief, they were broken off. And you stand by faith. Not be haughty, but fear. For if God did not spare the natural branches, he may not spare you either. Therefore, consider the goodness and severity of God on those who fell severity, but toward you, goodness, if you continue in his goodness. Otherwise, you also will be cut off. And they also, if they do not continue in unbelief, will be grafted in. For God is able to graft them in again. For if you were cut out of an olive tree which is wild by nature and were grafted in contrary to nature into a cultivated olive tree, 
how much more will these who are natural olive branches be grafted into their own olive tree? You see, the rest of this section, verses 17 through 24, goes deeper into the olive tree illustration. Basically, the natural branches are the Jews, and the wild branches are the Gentiles. And what he's saying is that the, the root or the trunk of this thing is good and stable and secure in faith. Not in works, not in law, not in that, but in faith. And when you place your faith in Jesus, it's like God cuts you off of a bad olive tree and sticks you into the good olive tree of faith. That's what God does. And so you're able to gather this kind of life from the things of the Lord. Here's the big point. Christianity is a natural outflowing of Judaism. If you're a good Jew and you read the Old Testament and you really study the law and the prophets, the natural outflowing should bring you to Christianity. You see, the Messiah is Jewish. The nation is Jewish. Jesus, the Messiah, came according to Jewish prophecy. Jesus fulfills Jewish law. All of this is a Jewish faith. Even when you think about your Bible, you're holding 66 books. 64 of them are written by Jews. There's only two that are not written by a Jewish guy. It's Luke and Acts, written by Luke. The only Gentile to write any scripture. And so the whole thing is Jewish, starts to finish. This is not another sort of subsect of a different religion. Christianity is the natural outflowing of Judaism. And so when we think about this, we're not better than or above Jews. We're just grafted into the Jewish religion. That's what we are. We're able to be put into this already Jewish thing that's taking place. You see, God set aside Israel for a time, but that does not mean that the church replaces Israel. David Guzik says it like this, that the church would be a wellspring or a hotbed of anti-Semitism is one of the greatest blots on the history of Christianity. May I say that there is no room for the Christian anti-Semite. You're just ignorant. You just don't know your Bible and you don't know a real relationship with God if you're a Christian and you're against the Jewish people. It is absolutely impossible to be Christian and against the Jewish people. Why? Because you're believing in a Jewish thing. It's a Jewish Bible and a Jewish God and a Jewish Messiah. The whole thing's Jewish. How could you be against the very people that you're a part of? That you've been grafted in. In fact, earlier on in Romans, Paul actually says, when you're of the faith, you're more Jewish than other Jews. Just because they're circumcised, that doesn't make them Jews. Just because they can prove their heritage, you're actually more Jewish if you're in the faith of Christianity. You see, the Jewish people should have naturally come to salvation in Jesus, but their unbelief, verse 20, caused them to be broken off. It was their unbelief. It wasn't that they didn't do the law stuff. It wasn't that they didn't jump through the right hoops. It was unbelief. It was a choice to reject Jesus through unbelief. Verse 23, the Jewish people have access to salvation the same way that everybody does. By faith. You see, belief grafts them back in. It's not that they're broken off and cast away and just they're burned and they're gone. No, it's that they can come back to this faith. They can come back to the Lord. They can come back to Jesus the same way that everybody does. It levels the playing field for us all. And finally, the fifth witness that Paul calls is God himself in verses 25 through 36. We've looked at Paul the apostle himself as a witness to God not rejecting the Jewish nation, the prophet Elijah, the Gentile Christians, the Jewish patriarchs are part of this. And now God himself is called to the witness stand. Verse 25 says it like this. 
For I do not desire, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest you should be wise in your own opinion, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. And so all Israel will be saved, as it is written, the Deliverer will come out of Zion, and he will turn away ungodliness from Jacob, for this is my covenant with them when I take away their sins. Here, Paul's fifth witness is God himself. His future plan for Israel happens after the fullness of the Gentiles. Thanks for joining us for today's edition of Redemption Radio as we study the book of Romans with Pastor Cody. Romans gives you an in-depth idea of what to believe as a Christian, but also how to apply that as you live it out. So think about it this way. Is what you say you believe consistent with what your life is living out? It's a bit of a heart check, right? Would your life be an accurate mirror to what you claim to believe from the Bible? We hope that you continue referring back to the book of Romans and the Bible in general for guidance on how to live your life. For additional resources and to hear this message again, head over to redemptioncalvary.org. You can listen to additional messages from this series, and you can also subscribe to our podcast so you don't miss a single message. Once again, that's redemptioncalvary.org. If you'd like to request some prayer about what you're going through or how things relate to what you heard today, you can reach us at 720-466-5358. Again, that number is 720-466-5358. If you're interested in knowing more about this ministry or want to learn more about Redemption Calvary located in Commerce City, Colorado, please visit our website, redemptioncalvary.org. That's all the time we have for today. Join Pastor Cody next time for another look at the Book of Romans right here on Redemption Radio. Redemption Radio.